Rohan Keane, thanking you for another for joining me in another of our acclaimed franchise radio shows. Um, another great day. I've got a, a surprise visitor for us today. Um, he's a man who uh, I think is well-versed, well-placed to answer this question that I put. Why you need and how to best use a business coach. David McDermott is the principal of McDermott Coaching. It's a business coaching firm dedicated to empowering business leaders to run successful businesses. Um, he's an accomplished performer and uh, at a, at helping people at outstanding levels as leaders to think strategically, uh, to lead high-performing teams and engage meaningfully with both business and here comes the crunch and with life. Don't we all know about that? So that David's a leader called upon my leaders, uh, worked with some business owners and senior executives and some of the largest companies and government departments in Australia, as well as startups and general SMEs. So um, two decades in this space, um, working particularly in coaching and strategy consulting has given him great experience across the private and the public sectors. Um, his clients, an impressive list here, just quickly, Nespresso, Vision, Stream, Salmat, Key Commerce, Port of Newcastle, New South Communities and Justice, Charter Hall, etc. So there we are. David, welcome to our Franchise Radio Show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Um, anything uh, we've overlooked there in your intro that I should be just mentioning at all? No, I, I think you got it. Okay, cool. Well, everyone, look, get, grab your notebooks, as always. There's little tip, little snippets and so forth that I think you'll probably pick up on. Um, and, of course, you can always go back to the recording that's available, as you probably all know, on iTunes and Spotify and most of the other podcast uh, sites around. So, D David, um, <laughs> essentially, what does make a truly effective business leader? Let's start there. Yes, uh, that's a great question, Brian. I mean, I, you know, I could answer that question by talking more technically, you know, looking at marketing and sales systems and, and uh, the different systems people use that have, have been proven to be effective, um, delivery, nurturing customers, you know, all, all these things that are a part of running a good business, you know, and they are all important. But when I think about what makes a truly effective business leader, I start with leadership and the qualities of the leader before looking at the business systems. Um, they're both important, but I, I want to answer that question uh, first uh, from the perspective of you know, what as a person it takes to be an effective business leader. And I, I use the term evolved leadership and being an evolved leader. I, I have actually listened to your podcast with Paul Dunn, which I really enjoyed uh, you know, in his B1G1, the uh, buy one, give one, framework and he talked about Jim Collins you know I'm a great fan of Jim Collins um, you know, who's got some great articles with the Harvard Business Review and I I love Jim's study that he did with a thousand big companies and you know these are these are publicly listed companies in America and studying you know which were the most successful and he found of, of those 1,000 uh, large organizations in the US there were 10 that outperformed the others significantly in terms of stock market returns over 30 years. And Jim Collins, you know, insight that's, that's fairly well known is he found that the leaders of those 10 companies that were the top 10 performers uh, had these two qualities and he called it deep humility and fierce resolve. 
and I was very impressed by this when I read it in my early 20s, you know, um, many years ago. And you know, I thought, this is it. You know, this is this is what it takes to be a great leader. You've got to be very humble, have this deep humility, and and be very resolved, be very determined in what you do. And of course, those qualities are, are as true now as they were then, and and they're very important for effective leadership. But I believe uh, we need to go beyond that vision um, and embrace it to also include the question of contribution. And to me, a truly effective business leader has that deep humility and fierce resolve and runs a, a very profitable and, and successful business uh, year on year, but also contributes positively to the planet in a tangible and measurable way. So, uh, you know, that's where Paul talking about B1, G1, you know, there are many examples of this. I like Ray Anderson, who set up um, Interface, you know, the carpet, big carpet manufacturer, where they have their mission zero that they've already achieved of um, having zero impact on the environment. Tom Shoes, founded by Blake McCoskey in the, in the US, if you buy a, shoe from, a pair of shoes from them, they buy a pair of shoes for someone in a, in a third world country. Those sorts of models you know, and many other versions are to me uh, really what I'm talking about, where if, if you're talking about being a, an effective business leader, I believe you need to have that aspect of contribution in this modern world. It's no longer acceptable just to um, run a profitable business and say, that's it. Yeah, no, thank you for that observation. As you know, that's something we're passionate about here with Microloan mm. Foundation and B1G1 yeah. and so forth and uh, making those differences. And, and I, I know from my experience, I came down this path almost by accident, but the reality is it does make a difference. You know, you're slogging away, working hard. It's nice to know that it's not just having an impact to the people around you in your office or wherever it might be or your clients, but elsewhere to other people who, for no fault of their own, most often really haven't had just those opportunities and a bit of good luck that you probably have. So uh, yes, exactly. it's a great start. Yeah. And without, I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's an interview just on that, but we won't dwell on that more than, than to say that even people like, um, you know, Unilever these days are mm. moving in that direction with all of their something like 3,000 companies. So it, it's underway, it's happening. And the point is, I think, yeah. that, that people need to be aware of is that people are looking for it. They're looking for it for the people they're going to be involved with, not just exactly. as employees, but franchisees and customers. They say, I want a business. I want to work with someone that's actually doing something. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's it's, it's a great point. So um, we're, we're moving on from that one then. <laughs> um, we'd like to share with you to share some of your little secrets and tips you've learned <laughs> in your sure. experiences. What are some of the biggest mistakes that business leaders make from your point of view, David? Yes, that's a, that's a really good question. And I will, you know, I, um, I will answer that question. And I will also... Uh, mention a few other things in response to your first question a bit later in terms of what makes an effective business leader. And, you know, part of that is considering what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that business leaders make. There are a few other things, you know, emotional intelligence, how to motivate teams, um, a meaningful organizational strategy, and, and how to cultivate a coaching style of leadership, which I believe um, is what makes a truly effective business leader. But I, I might speak a little bit more about those a little later in the interview. Um, in terms of the mistakes, uh, I, I see that business leaders, they're usually motivated people, 
and you know they they're usually more motivated than the average joe uh much more motivated because you've you've got to be um a go-getter to run a business you've you've got to be able to wake up and and persist despite sometimes significant obstacles and i think you know your listeners will really resonate with that um as business owners that uh, it takes a certain determination to run a business at a, at a base level. But what I find often when I ask uh, business owners the question of what's it all for is they've thought about that to a certain extent, sometimes a little more than others, but often haven't followed that question through to its ultimate end. And what I mean by that is uh, I, I, I call this the killer question. I like to ask my clients um, you know, at some at an appropriate point in, a, in our coaching journey, I asked them if you had all the money that uh, you ever needed to never have to work again. You know, and multiply that by ten or a hundred, whatever it is, so that you really, you know, are confident you you will never need another another cent. You know, whether it's a hundred million dollars or a hundred billion, it doesn't matter. Assume, you know, imagine that's been transferred to your bank account right now. How would you spend the rest of your life? And having answered that question, and you know, have a have a some sense of how you'd go about your days if money really wasn't a consideration, uh, why aren't you living that life now? And uh, if not, what what's your plan to progress towards that? Because to me, the answer to that killer question uh, is what you really want to create in your life. And if you're a business owner, your business model should be. Um, your strategy towards that or, or a big part of it? And the answer might be that your business is a big part of how you'd spend the rest of your days, in which case, great. Um, and is it, at, is it at your ideal already? Uh, usually, and, and in pretty much all cases, the answer is not yet and often far from it. And that it's a great place to start, but without the goal to aim for, and this is, the, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that business leaders make, is not spending the really important time to reflect on that question of what do I ultimately want from my business or as business partners, what do we ultimately want from this? Why did we set this business up? Is it to build it uh, to the point where we can sell it and with the profits move on to other things in our life that are important? Um, is it to set it up so that we can have a certain amount of involvement and, you know, and we really enjoy that amount and that's what we want? or you know, uh, infinite variations on the theme. So that, that's one of the mistakes that I've seen consistently is a, a, l- a lack of proper reflection on the question of what do I ultimately want in my life and therefore what do I ultimately want my business model to be. If I can jump in there. Yeah, I, go for I, it. Hey, David, I think that's a remarkable insight because that's probably one of the most intimidating things that you can ask a business founder or a business exactly. owner particularly when they've been they've been running growing the business for a while mm. and that dream they probably shut their eyes to it in some respects because it's not actually happening mm. uh, so, exactly yeah thank you yes and the, and the ideals start to fade and it can lead to a you know a sense of disillusionment um, but of course the good news is it doesn't have to stay that way uh, and this is where you know a, Support can be very helpful to help you see things that you you can't if you're um, if you're stuck in a bit of a rut. Yes, yes. A okay. thinking a thinking partner. You know, we all yeah. benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, are, are there other mistakes you'd like to refer to? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have um, 
a you know, in, in the blog section of my site, I have an article with 10, 10 mistakes, but we don't have time to go through all of them. <laughs> no. I've, I've, I've just picked a, um, some of the top ones here. So uh, another one I see is when business leaders avoid what I call the uncomfortable conversations. And most of us are raised to not enjoy conflict and to uh, work pretty hard to avoid it. But the fact is running a business at times, you know, sometimes reasonably frequently involves a certain amount of conflict and confrontation, sometimes a small amount and occasionally, you know, quite strong confrontation and mm. the need to stand your ground and say no or, or say that's not acceptable or no, that wasn't our agreement, et cetera, et cetera. And there are ways to have uncomfortable conversations that are effective and there are ways to have uncomfortable conversations that are not, not so effective. And I, I provide you know, my, my views on how to have effective, uh, I call them powerful conversations in organizations. You know, and again, I have um, some in, an article on my, in my blog about that. But fundamentally, it involves some emotional intelligence, which is one of, one of the other qualities of, I believe, what makes a, a truly effective business leader is to have uh, enough emotional intelligence to understand how people work and how different individuals work to know how to talk to people in a way where you don't avoid the issue, but you communicate in a way that you minimize the, the possibility of an explosion. And, and it, is a, it is an art of, of communication and it's an art that can be cultivated. And it's my observation um, over decades of coaching and consulting with organizations of all sizes that uh, it's, it's a mistake that uh, leaders often make where they don't know how to um, confront a difficult issue and either they avoid it or they go in uh, too hard and guns blazing and, and there's a big explosion and damage done that didn't need to be done. Mm. So the solution is learning how to have uncomfortable conversations and it's an art and it's actually really fun once you master it. But, um, you know, that's probably mm. a, a topic that we need a bit more time for to go into the detail of that. Yeah, I, 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 I can absolutely see that. And, uh, um, and as you say, it comes back to communication that, some people jump in all guns blazing. They haven't really thought about how to handle this in a way that they're looking for a positive outcome. They're almost yeah. looking to create <laughs> a confrontation, um, which yes. can happen too easily. You know, if you're in the if you exactly. feel you're in the wrong, and someone's saying, you know, you, you made a mistake there. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing, nothing more we want than to be able to creep away quietly. You know, <laughs> that's right, uh, exactly, and. You know, the, another mistake I'll, I'll mention, which is related, and um, it, it also is, is one of the qualities I believe is, is part of what an effective business leader is, is what I call uh, co leader as coach, cultivating a coaching style of leadership. And a, a mistake that I see often is when leaders confuse their, what leadership style uh, they should choose to suit particular contexts. Often leaders don't even have that terminology of leadership style. And, you know, they kind of just have one style, which unconsciously day after day, year after year, they present to their teams and their customers and clients, etc. cetera. Uh, and if they're lucky, it's somewhat effective. But, you know, the research is well, well proven now. And Daniel Goldman, you know, who writes on emotional intelligence, uh, as well as leadership styles, you know, really put this on the map. 
uh, is that leaders, effective leaders, choose particular leadership styles to suit the context. And he, you know, he describes six of them, and it's a framework I like. And you know, there are other frameworks of leadership styles. And you know, there's directive leadership, affiliative leadership, pace-setting leadership, where you, you know, you really model what you want from your team and/or others. But what one one of the most powerful, and I, I believe it is the most powerful and most important leadership style is the coaching style of leadership, which it's not for a uh, emergency situation, and that's where a directive style is more appropriate, but coaching is for growing your team. It's for helping people to go deeper into their own personal motivations. It's for reflection. You know, it's for when you've in the middle of a project, uh, completion of a project, you stop and you review. You say, how, how did that go? What did we learn? Uh, what were our enjoyment levels? What was missing? You know, these, these are all you know, some of the many great coaching questions. And I, I always work with my clients to help them build a level of competence uh, as a coach. You know, that I don't expect them to become expert coaches, uh, like a professional coach, but I, I always uh, set the bar for achievement of a, of a competent level of being a coach. And I think if you're a leader of an organization these days, you can't ignore the effectiveness of coaching. And, you know, whether you hire a coach uh, or, and or take on um, the journey of becoming a, a coach yourself, uh, you're the, it's well proven that your levels of team engagement, your level of personal satisfaction, uh, your level of personal motivation, and of course, um, organizational outcomes, profitability being one of them, improve significantly when there's a coaching approach implemented in the organization. And I see that leaders often don't understand the power of coaching and they don't understand that it is a leadership style that they can cultivate and adopt to suit the context, not every context. Uh, but my experience has been it's more often missing, uh, completely missing than there at all. So a, you know, even a bit of a coaching um, approach in an organization is, is far better than none. I suppose the reality is <laughs> that as you say that, it's, it's sort of dawning on me really that every business leader is a coach, whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether, so how they behave, they're being engaged as their success as a coach. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Please car car carry on. Let's, um, I do have a couple more questions if you want me to skip on to something else or have you still got a bit to add there? Well, I, I just am reminded, you know, on this topic of a, a client of mine who was, you know, we, we've, um, we completed our coaching relationship uh, some time ago, but when we, were, when we were in the middle of our coaching journey, she described to me an experience she had and I was working with her on this particular point of uh, building her coaching capacity her, her coaching ability in her executive role and she was the CIO of a, a large property investment firm uh, and still is and she, that was one of her personal um, objectives for the coaching is that she she already knew before she met me that she um, she wanted to become a more powerful coach she'd been convinced you know that, that wasn't something that she needed uh, convincing around and and so we worked on that as one of the objectives and she told me this story of, uh, you know, that she applied it to the performance, uh, or I, I prefer the term growth and development conversations that, you know, were part of running organizations where you pr 
traditionally you had your annual performance review. Um, I, I prefer growth and development conversations and also ideally more often than annual, you know, a quarterly more casual conversation with a growth perspective is far more enjoyable and, um, and uh, you know, far more meaningful and, and also effective than a, a scary annual performance review. Now, the, the, the terminology is, is, very, is very important and the language is powerful in terms of what, how people see it. So she, she applied it to uh, her regular conversations with her team members and, and saw great results, you know, when she, um, as, she, as she worked on her own ability as a coach. But she told me this particular story, which was actually with her whole team one day where she was there and, you know, they had their weekly team meeting and she just took a, uh, a risk and, 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 was, and um, showed vulnerability, you know, which is part of what a coaching approach is about and said, look, I, I'd like to listen to you guys and, and hear what, what do I need to do to help you um, have more effective meetings? Because there, there was, you know, some issues with the, the meetings they were having and it was a sticking point and, and she wanted to get to the bottom of it. And, uh, you know, people were frustrated and you know, people were arriving late and various things. And one of them uh, said to her in response that, look, we feel like you micromanage everything and you control, you control things too much. And we'd like more freedom to, to make decisions. You know, we're, we're capable people. You know, we really respect you as a leader. And they did. You know, she was a very capable person. But we're also capable people. And we, we want that to be recognized. And long story short, out, out of that conversation, which came from her vulnerability and her asking a good coaching question, which is, how can we improve this situation for you guys? It was a group context. Um, she made the decision to actually hand over power uh, of uh, running the meetings to the team. And so she stopped showing up to the meetings. And they ran it themselves and she gave them the ability to make decisions without her. You know, they, they called her in when they needed her. And what they found was you know, most, most general business, they were able to handle themselves without her. And she had plenty of other things that she, uh, she needed to be giving her time to. And it was a win-win on both sides. And you know, that, that story I love you know, because there were just so many flow on benefits. Um, everyone had a lot more fun. Uh, People were empowered that, you know, where there was a lack of empowerment before. Uh, my client was able to uh, freed up her time, you know, to give to other, other things that she had on her, on, on her busy schedule. So there, there were all these great wins and that, that all came out of a, um, a great coaching question and, and a willingness to be vulnerable uh, from an empowered place. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting because, you know, we see working with businesses where growth is, is, you know, is, I suppose that's our key element we add, mm. ultimately. Um, at the, the, the challenge that so many people have in delegating, letting go, um, and, I, and I'm, sometimes I question the motive of it. It's just mm. you know, a little bit reluctant to let go. They don't trust other people. But as you say, the context in which that woman you refer to did that just shows the results. And uh, I think when franchisors reflect on not just their team meetings, but their franchisee council meetings, you know, yes. encouraging that same approach where they become entrepreneurial is the term exactly. that Brian uses um, yes. and Paul works. And uh, it creates an organisation of leaders. And that doesn't mean it's a spaghetti bowl that's totally confusing. It yep. means you've got 
people there who will take responsibility, be accountable, and produce results. That's mm, what exactly. makes a good leader, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and, and yes, I mean, you, you know, you, you're the franchise expert, Brian, and, you know, I know that many of your listeners will either be thinking about franchising or maybe already in the process or, you know, various other stages of business. And, you know, this, this leader as coach is extremely relevant to uh, people considering or in the process of franchising or running a franchise, because when, you know, as, as you know, and, you know, as, as you and I have talked about, when you run a franchise, your, your focus shifts even more to um, managing people, although it, you know, potentially if you are solely um, just communicating with the franchisees, uh, you know, it does mean that you may decrease your or, or stop your involvement with a particular team that's running, the, you know, a particular business. But then you start to manage um, the franchisees, which is a, you know, a different kind of people management. And all, you know, that quality of knowing how to coach people and how to uh, help people grow and develop and, you know, your own franchisees, which obviously leads to better outcomes for the different, you know, for the franchises and, and better outcomes overall for the whole franchise is is again a win-win on both sides. Uh, you know, I, I would I would put the argument that uh, if you are running a franchise or intend to, this is something you can't ignore. That you need you really need to include um, both you growing as a coach and being able to coach your franchisees. But not only that, also uh, having a vision of your franchisees building uh, at least a competent level of coaching ability so that they can coach their teams because coaching leads to uh, improved performance. You know, it's well proven and it, and it has been now for many years. So yeah, absolutely. it's very relevant to your listeners. Yeah, look, someone we quote frequently is, um, is Tom Potter. Um, you know, he founded Eagle Boys Pizzas. So oh, yes. Demise these days, not, not due to any fault of his. But, yes. And, and the, the comment he made when he came out of Albury Wodonga, which is where he started, and his mother generously put a, a mortgage on a house so he could start. And he said, I realised I was no longer in the pizza business, I was in the people business. And that's yes. just so absolutely true. It is. It's people exactly. through and through. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. But th thank you for sharing that. You're really sharing some insights. I'm certainly enjoying this, and I hope everyone else is that's listening. Um, Me too. Um, so we touched a couple of things, you know, on the emotional intelligence and that sort of thing, and, mm. and I suppose strategies and so on. But um, you've got some other principles I know you're quite strong about um, when we've had our conversations. And one I've, I've picked up on when we were chatting recently was a comment you made, if I can quote it, I think I've got it right. Play the value game, not the price matching game was uh, something yes. you mentioned, which is a, a favourite of yours. Yes, I you know I, I'm really big on this, and this is more in the you know I mentioned at the start. Uh, you know, when I think about what makes an effective business leader, I start with leadership and the, the person as leader. Uh, but you know, there's also the technical side of running a business: the marketing systems, sales systems, delivery systems, you know, the admin, uh, leadership systems, you know, finance systems, all of that. You know, which is also very important to um, to master and and ensure that you're. Um, running at optimum and you have the right systems to suit your business model and that you you constant you know you you have a um, a, a practice of constant reflection and review because systems are living things and you know they're never fixed forever you know and markets change and, and customers customer needs change and and uh, 
team member needs change and, and you constantly need to adapt. So this question of the value game, not the price matching game is very much more in that technical business system side. And, it, and it's around obviously setting your prices and, and what you charge for your products or, and or services. And I, I always recommend to my clients and I work with them not to lower themselves to play the price matching game, that if a competitor has dropped their prices that you, know, you need to respond by a price drop if, if you want to still uh, be competitive and, and be in the market. It's, it's not true. Uh, it is true for very large organizations, you know, like Walmart or Woolies or Coles, um, to a certain extent. You know, that's, that's about the only place I believe that price matching um, the, the price matching conversation, you know, does have a place, you know, when it's a uh, very high volume of very low cost items and very big business, you know, um, if, if something's a little bit cheaper over the road, yes, you know, it can, it can influence customers to, to move. Uh, but even there, I mean, you know, Coles, Woolies, IGA is making a resurgence these days when it used to be a, a brand that was seen as a pretty, um, you know, undesirable place to go in but you go into an IGA store these days and I don't know if you've noticed Brian you know, I've been pretty impressed recently they they really do their stores really well yes uh, and and they do charge accordingly you know and people go and pay and you know they're successful uh, because people like the experience in the store they, they have good products and um, and they have a nice layout and to me it it really smashes the Coles and Woolies experience these days whereas IGA you know, to me, used to be far inferior. So yeah, they, they, they're not playing the price matching game. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, it's, that's, an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting one because many businesses are faced with these challenges from time to time as competitors come along, particularly at the moment when we're exactly. going through an absolutely massive upheaval um, yeah. of changes. We've got competitors popping up we never heard of before and yes. others emerging who've, who've yes. hit on the on the on this not the secrets but the, the key to successful technology yes. and how to use it so uh, no it, it's critically important you say and I think when it comes down to price you know it's how you transmit that value isn't it and that's it it's the same it's, if, yeah. yeah sorry if you're a franchisor you've got to show that value to your franchisees because remember they're your customers so yes um, and that comes back to yeah. what are your values what's the product and how yeah. you communicate it, I guess. And, and exactly. And presenting your product or service in a way that it's so compelling to the buyer that the price is really incidental. Mm. You know, of course, it can't be ridiculously astronomical, but I, I, uh, I strongly recommend uh, looking at the, you know, your price setting. You know, it is, a, it is an important question of where, where do I set my prices based on what is the value to my customer and creating a product or service that is so desirable and, and is uh, a higher quality product and or service to what your competitors offer. And that, that's really the art of this is creating your products or services where you constantly improve you know, by iterative trial and error and reflection and asking questions uh, you know, and a coaching approach helps there too in how you have reflective conversations with customers and get customer feedback. So that you're, you know, the product that you put out is mm -hmm. something that people really want, you know, whether it's boutique or, or a more mainstream product. And they're very happy to pay significantly higher prices than uh, your some of your competitors. And they really will. It may mean that you have less clients by volume but what, what I've found is that business owners that take this approach, they make good money. They uh, 
have customers and or clients that are a pleasure to work with. Uh, when you play the price matching game, you attract all sorts and you inevitably get a whole bunch of problem customers who, uh, who are there just to, you know, to get the lowest price. And they're usually the ones that will complain and, and cause problems. When you have a business model where you're, you're really selling on value and not lo lowering yourself to play the price matching game, you have a lot less problems in terms of customer complaints, et cetera, because people are buying and paying more knowing that your product is of value. And absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, people say to me, oh, I think my, my business is an ordinary service. I don't think I can franchise it. But what mm. about the local chippy who's become um, uh, a hire a hubby and exactly. uh, has paid a fairly respectable figure for that business? But he could be yeah. out there with his ute just running around like, you know, so many. But here he yeah. is, a fully branded, fully integrated business. Yeah. Um, and, and they're there for the long term and they're growing. Um, and even exactly. starting to look at some of the stalwarts of the, the coffee industry, like Coffee Club and so forth, you know, yeah. they change hands for an ex quite a significant amount of money when they're established. Yes. So the capital gain is there. People wouldn't do that if they weren't convinced they were getting value and they're not the cheapest around, you know? Um, yeah, that's right. That's so right. Don't, don't be discouraged. Just on that, you're quite right. Um, well, there are many, many examples of this. Um, you know, I mean, Starbucks is just one, you know, with Howard Schultz, where they they sell, you know, they're a very successful business. They, they sell what many, um, many coffee connoisseurs would describe as pretty average coffee, but they charge quite quite a lot for it, you know, on average for what it is. And, it's, and they're very successful. And they've built a brand where they're regarded, um, you know, as... Uh, as being a good place to have coffee, particularly in the US, yeah. um, you know they've they've really they've really got that market, and it, it is regarded as a decent coffee in the US, and you know they've grown enormously and are you know, super successful uh, based on their brand. Absolutely. Um, Let's slip into a couple of closing items, if mm. we can, David. And I know there's another there's another radio show interview that we've got from some of the things we picked up in our conversation today, because it's mm. worth drilling down on these things. That's where the value comes, I think, is uh, is drilling down. But what, what would you say from your observations that is the primary cause of stress that business leaders face managing people? You know, this, this is really what is the hassle, isn't it? Everyone says to me, yeah. why are you franchising? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? It's people. Yeah. Um, perhaps could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, and, and this is it. You know, th this really is the, the primary cause of stress <clears throat> is people issues, you know, when you're running a business of any size, sm small, medium or big. Uh, you know, there, there are many stresses that a business leader can face and you know, they can run into legal challenges, you know, unhappy customers, you know, which unhappy customers fits in the category of people management. You know, you've got to manage those people, those un unhappy customers. And of course, internal people management, your, your own team, when you've got uh, team member conflict, whether it's with you or, or uh, inter-team. Inter uh, the art of managing people, again, is one that uh, some business leaders understand is important to cultivate and get really, get really good at, to be blunt, if they want to um, run a successful business and enjoy their, their position as leader of the business or one of the leaders of the business. You've, you've got to be good at managing people. Uh, you, You've got to be good at leading people. And there is a distinction. I do just make a distinction between leadership and, and management. Uh, when, when I talk about managing 
people. Um, if you've got team members that are butting heads and, and coming to you or you know their, their direct report with an ongoing issue and, and there's clearly uh, something to get to the bottom of, I, I find in the majority of cases, if not all, it's because there are differing expectations but no clear agreements. Mm. And you know, one of my articles in, on my site is expectations are toxic, agreements are powerful, you know, where I go into this more. Uh, and I talk about expectations really are toxic because they're in people's heads. And this, this is the way the majority of people operate, unfortunately, is they, they come in with their own worldviews and, and fair enough and, and expectations of how things should be. Uh, and often they're not actually communicated clearly, if at all. So you get two different people or two different teams, you know, whether it's uh, two team members or a leader and, and one of their team members who have differing ideas of what they believe the outcome should be. And when there's conflict, it's usually because those differing ideas remained in those people's heads and they weren't actually spoken out loud. Or if they were spoken out loud, the, the way that they were communicated was uh, simply two people dumping their opinion and there was no agreement. And what I always suggest is in those situations, and this is the question I ask my clients, I say, what is the agreement that you would like to create here? And that stops people in their tracks because they realize, oh yeah, I actually don't have a clear agreement with this person or you know, this group. And the next step is to help them design what, the, what outcome they want and therefore what they'd like to request of the other group or party or, or person as an agreement. And if you can really, uh, take this principle on board in your leadership practice, what I've noticed is it, it really reduces your stress as a leader when you become known for being a leader who creates powerful agreements with people. And it, it really solves this problem of differing expectations that stay in people's heads, which causes a whole host of toxic issues. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, it's far better than how do we sort this problem out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. just, just moving on now, because time's just getting a little bit tight. But mm. um, this, I know they've got a lot of information to share with us, but um, maybe just um, reiterate three key things you think that someone who's a business owner could, um, could understand about how to motivate their best motivate their teams, David? Yeah, sure. Th this is uh, one of the, again, one of the qualities that I really um, stand for when, when, you think about what makes an effective business leader is understanding how to motivate your team and being able to motivate your team. So three, three things that really help with motivation. One is alignment. And what I mean by that is where you help your team member uh, align their personal objectives with your organizational objectives. And, and then it works really well. And, you know, some examples just to um, draw out that point. Let's say you're in the renewable energies in industry. Let's say you, uh, you know, you're running a wind farm or selling solar panels or whatever it is. You know, it it really works when people who work in that sort of business are passionate about the environment and passionate about renewable energy, particularly. Mm -hmm. If you're selling vitamins, you know that you're passionate about people maintaining good health and you believe that the product um, really contributes to to people having good health. Financial consulting, you know, you're you often find that people in that industry, you know, although it, it certainly has its, um, its dark side as, as we've seen, 
uh, you know, with various royal commissions. Yeah. Many, many yeah. people who work in the financial industry genuinely have a value of financial stability and helping others to have financial stability. You know, when, when, when there's that personal value match with the organizational objective, that's, that's one of the things that really helps with motivation. And it's the lead, you know, it's the person's job, you know, who's working in the company to obviously find a business that matches what they want. But it's also the leader's job to ensure that people they hire uh, have a passion for what the business does. Uh, yeah. Because if they don't, if they really have no interest, unless they're, um, you know, a purely administrative role, and some people, you know, they really do just want to turn up and do their eight hours and leave. And, you know, that's fine. But generally, uh, it, yeah, it's, it, it is important for the success of the business that the majority of the team does have a personal passion for what the business offers. Ideally, the whole team, of course. Mm. So that's one. Uh, and that, another uh, really important point with motivation is to help people be in flow. And we could go into this quite a bit, but just the, you know, the short version is, is I know we're, we've only got a certain amount of time Mahalia Chizent Mahalia, which is um, you know quite a mouthful, is the, is the name of a professor who studied this concept of flow at the University of Chicago for his whole life, which essentially is the philosophy of living in the present moment. And it's uh, what he discovered in the business context is that when you have the right level of challenge and skill, uh, you enter this state called flow, which is a very happy state psychologically to be in. If you have too much challenge and not enough skill, you enter an anxiety state. If you have too much skill and not enough challenge, you enter a boredom state. And the flow state, this happy, content state where you're really focused on the activity, is the perfect balance. So it's the right balance where your skill level meets the challenge. And it's your job as a leader to help people uh, find the right level of challenge in their roles to match their skill level so that it's not too much that they're anxious, but it's not too little so that they're bored. So that's, that's a great, another... great way of describing it. It's, it's when you're in the zone, isn't it? When you're in the space, uh, you have that level of confidence and, uh, and, 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 and also higher productivity because you're, yeah. you're just getting into it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And then what's, what's, the, what's the third one of your, uh, your three well, the third one links again with the uh, coaching style of leadership where you help your team members develop a growth plan that is meaningful to them. And many organizations do do this well these days, but I would say more the majority do not, where it's still that annual performance review where you, you, know, you come to be uh, assessed and judged. But when, when you take, uh, take out that language and replace it with the word growth, and as a leader, you see that part of your job is to help your team members have a growth plan that is documented, which means having outcomes that they're aiming at that are meaningful to them and having a, a conversation somewhat regularly, I, you know, I suggest at least quarterly, uh, where you review how are you going, uh, what are your objectives, what, what did we agree, what were the agreements that we created, there's that word agreements again, and uh, what what is your progress with those with those um, agreements, you know, the, the objectives that we, we set out together. And these have to be objectives that are interesting to the person, you know, and that they, they co-create with you in conversation rather than just being told. And th th this, again, is an art of how to bring what you know as a leader they really need to be working on to 
you know, be valuable to your business and where their improvement areas are, their development areas, but also to ensure that they have input into that conversation and, and make suggestions about uh, what their objectives are that you agree, you know, is useful and um, and that all goes in and is documented. And that's, that's uh, a big part of effective motivation when there is that growth plan and it's, it becomes a document that you can sit down with your team members and pull it out and say, right, where are we at? And it really is effective when you, when you combine these three of personal alignment with organizational objectives, uh, ensuring that you find flow and having a growth plan for people. I would yeah, say you know, if you just I, got those three right, you, you're really well, yeah. ahead, of, well but, ahead of the and, pack. And I think you can observe the CEOs out there. If you look at the public companies, the ones who are in high profile, they all go through their, their, their peaks and troughs and so forth, you know, particularly mm. at the supermarket game and how over the years, Coles and their great adversary, Woolies, have gone up and down, up and down. And, yep. and you see the change when um, I go back to many years, quite some years ago when Coles were really um, just, they were purchased by West Farmers and up to then yes. they've really been battling. And they bought in a top guy from overseas paid him a big chunk of money, mm. people complained, but goodness me, they, that business grew <laughs> unbelievably. And similar in recent couple of years with Kmart, for example. Uh, so mm. these are the examples where you can see someone that's obviously exceptional. David, it's exactly. been beautiful talking to you. We could chat for ages. I know we enjoy chatting anyway, but I know that, that wonderful. We, we were speaking earlier, um, you know, I'd like to encourage some of, some of our listeners to think a bit more deeply about about coaching and even just seeing whether it may be something they can gain from so i know that you said you're happy to offer a, a, a sort of a half an hour discovery conversation or something like that where you can talk with people meaningfully about what's working what isn't working you know see what people's aspirations and goals are that type of thing and um uh, that's something you're, you're happy to do yes that's right Okay, well, look, um, if anyone's interested in that, what's the best way they can contact you, David? So my website is probably the best, the best way to get in touch, and that's mcdermottcoaching.com.au, all one word. So McDermott has two Ts, M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T, then the word coaching, mcdermottcoaching.com.au, and you know, there's a, a, a link to, um, to, to say hi and, and reach out, and I, I can then get in touch and yeah i'd be very happy to you know to to your listeners uh set aside half an hour and really understand what they're looking for and and what their what their challenges are and and as you said what their highest aspirations are because that is um a really important question that many business leaders don't don't go through to the end with and and i've found it's essential to do so if you want to really run a successful business yeah well i I certainly encourage people to do that i'm the reason we're talking to david today is because i I actually, he and I made, made contact and uh, I can only say in a half hour chat, it's surprising much ground we covered and how how, how I felt quite inspired when, I, when we finished. So just like to say thank you very much indeed, David. Um, uh, and thank everyone. For, hope you thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we're, we're looking forward to catching up again. Any, any closing comment you'd like to make there, David, before we pull the shutter down? Well, there's, there's, there's so much. Well, we, we didn't talk about organizational strategy. So maybe I'll just make a final comment on that is, is of course, when you, when you run a business, you, you 
uh, need a strategy. And again, that needs to be documented. And uh, if you don't have one, you know, that is also something to, to put on your list is to create a strategy that covers where are we now, both the opportunities and challenges, where do we want to be, which is what is my vision for the business? How will we get there, which is what are your you know, main options and, and choosing the options that will get you there? And then what will we actually do, which is the action plan and, and detailed out in terms of who will do what by when. So that that's really important too uh, in in the running of a business is to have that strategy. And again, you know, it's, it's a larger conversation, but um, it's something that, you know, as a leader, you, you really need to have on your um on your list of things to uh, both create and then maintain. Right. So look, we've had an ocean full of stuff today. So yes, fantastic. Hope you've all enjoyed it. And uh, um, I suppose uh, just like to say again, thank you very much, David. Been, been great talking to you. Um, so um, thanks for coming into the studio and um, giving us that time and sharing that knowledge. Really insightful. Um, so this is Brian Kane from Franchise Simply signing off and looking forward to being with you when we interview our next radio show guest.